Uh, well, I want to welcome you uh, here today. Welcome those uh, here at our 930 Cornerstone service, those at the Well and those at the Well Cafe uh, today. Uh, that video was intentionally designed to uh, raise in your mind this question, what in the world is going to happen next? I mean, what follows that? Uh, I follow that. Uh, if we have not met, my name is uh, David. And today we're beginning a brand new series uh, called Elephant in the Room. Uh, before we dive into that, I want to lift up uh, just one thing uh, in addition uh, today. Uh, each fall, uh, as a church family, we pray for uh, those who serve in our schools. Uh, we, we do that in a very specific way. We offer uh, cards that you can pick up. They have names of all the employees and our, our school district, the Mansfield School District and surrounding uh, areas as well. Uh, we, in January, what we do every year is we do that for first responders and that's this weekend. So as you leave today, if you'd like to pick up a stack of cards, they have the name of a first responder, the address. We'd love for you to take those, pray for those individuals, uh, put a stamp on that, drop that in the mail, offer that uh, blessing as a way of saying thank you to those uh, who serve us in this very important way. Uh, before we dive in, uh, I want to tell you a joke. Uh, that's the best way to tell a joke is to tell people up front you're going to tell them a joke. Uh, and this is a joke, I want you to know this. This is a joke I heard yesterday at a funeral. And that's actually not the joke. I, there's more to it. So this is a joke I heard yesterday at a funeral. So there's a woman who has a pet chicken and the chicken dies. And she's distraught. She can't believe it. This is my pet chicken. I, I can't, it, it can't be dead. And so she goes to the vet. She, she brings the dead chicken and she says, uh, is there anything that you can do? And the vet takes a real quick look at the chicken and uh, he says, no, there's this, your chicken is dead. She said, no, no, no. There's got to be something you could do. Is, is there anything that you could do? He's like, no, ma'am, your chicken is dead. No, my chicken can't be dead. And he said, okay, well, hold on. Hold on one second. And he goes over here uh, and, and he opens the door and, and he brings a dog out. And the dog comes over and he sniffs the chicken. And then the dog leaves the room and uh, he says, ma'am, your chicken's dead. She's like, oh, no, my, my chicken can't be dead. So he goes, goes back into the room and he opens the door and has a cat come out. And the cat comes out and the cat kind of looks at the chicken, maybe licks the chicken a little bit and, uh, and, and then goes back into the other room. And she says, I'm sorry, that's, that's it. That's, that's all I can do. I, your chicken is dead. <sighs> She's very sad. She's, she's okay. And he said, by the way, that'll be $125. She's like, $125? Why in the world am I paying you $125? All you did was tell me that my chicken was dead. And she said, well, he said, well, no, I told you your chicken was dead. That would have only cost you $25. But the lab work and the CAT scan that I did after that, that was the extra $100. All right. At a funeral. Heard that story yesterday. So why, uh, why would I uh, start there? Well, I just wanted you to laugh a little bit because the series that we're starting today is titled The Elephant in the Room. Uh, and I don't really have to describe that for you. I know what that's like. In fact, if I just asked you to imagine the scene of a family gathered around a holiday dinner table. They're in a home that's bursting at the seams. The table doesn't even really fit in the room that it's in. Everyone has to squeeze around. Uh, they sit down. They're having a wonderful meal. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. It's, uh, they're so, uh, so excited to be together. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a scene that looks very similar to your favorite family sitcom where whatever problem that comes up, it's solved within 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Uh, uh, that would be, uh, it would be a scene like that until about halfway through the, through the meal when somebody said something. And it was that moment when everyone just sort of knew this is the moment where no eye contact should be made. 
Everyone just goes back to eating. There's a moment of silence and it gets more awkward the longer it, it goes. And suddenly everyone around the table needs to go to the bathroom, right? The, uh, this is the escape hatch to escape the, the conversation. And if you have that scene in your mind, uh, I don't have to tell you uh, who the family is or, or how many people were there or what the comment was because you know what happened, right? Somebody either naively or courageously wandered into talking about the elephant in the room. And that's there at our dinner tables. It's often there at our, in our workplaces. It's there in, uh, in the context of perhaps specific, significant relationships in our life. And it's even present in the church. There are things that the church struggles to talk about. There are things that we at times find ourselves unwilling to talk about or at best we struggle to, to talk about it or to think about how we would address it in a way that would be helpful for, for everyone. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to talk about four things that we think are elephants in the room. Now, we're not, we didn't choose four weeks because we thought, well, there's only four things. And once we're done, we'll be all good. No, it's because we thought a 27-week series would be too long. So we're just going to do we're four more weeks from here. We'll talk about specific things. Uh, but today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about what contributes to this in our life. Regardless of whether it, where it shows up in our families, relationships, workplace, uh, in the church. I want to talk about why it's important that we do talk about things that we may not really want to talk about or be willing to to talk about, and I want to talk about the values uh, that shape the engagement that we have, the values of our faith that should shape however we choose to respond to those things that we find difficult to talk about. So first thing I want to invite you to do, uh, if you want to write down uh, these two scripture passages that maybe will come up on the screen, there we go, Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, we'll look at that in just a moment, and Romans 5, 6 through 8, the page numbers here are associated with the, the pages uh, in uh, the Blue Bible that we have in all of our worship spaces available for you uh, to look those up. Let's talk first about where this comes from. Where does this fear come from? We all know it's fear, right? We know that, that fear is, is what paralyzes us and, and keeps us from perhaps moving forward in, in discussing things that are hard for us to talk about. But what's the source of those fear? What, what, what brings that up? He, this is not an exhaustive list, but here's a couple of ideas of what it is that, uh, that paralyzes us or causes, stirs that fear in us. We fear the loss of relationship. Uh, we fear uh, the uh, potential topic or concern because we see it as somehow posing a threat uh, to our sense of security, to our personal identity, or even our desire to somehow control outcomes or even at times to control relationships. Uh, we, we fear another person's response. What will they say? They might attack us. They, they may see us differently than they did before. Or maybe we might fear that they would diminish us and reduce us down to a singular issue on which we disagree or we just see a little bit differently than the other person. We may feel a deep desire to address something out of a concern, out of love for another person. But the fear is that they might misunderstand our intentions or they may just reject us outright. In some instances, our fear grows because we just don't want to deal with anything that's uncomfortable. We don't want to be in a place where we are uncomfortable. We don't want to be in a place where a vulnerability that we love to keep hidden away is suddenly exposed. Or in some instances, maybe we fear that we're going to create that situation or circumstance for someone else. We fear those conversations that are an unwelcome journey back into 
an unresolved pain in our life, or maybe in the life of someone else. Or maybe we fear admitting that there is anything in the world that we do not know. There, there, there's uh, an area that we just lack a little bit of understanding. And, and these are only the beginning. There's, there's, lots, there's lots more. But, but we all know what this is like to have this sense of fear that paralyzes us. We know that elephants get bigger over time. The anxiety only increases. And if I stopped right there, you, you could falsely assume that the purpose of this series, the goal of this series, is just to go home and get everything out in the open. Just go home regardless of the consequences and just talk about everything that you need to talk about regardless of how anyone else might respond. You just got to get rid of all the fear uh, that you have in your life. But let's think about that for just a moment. I was talking with someone this week and I described myself as a risk-averse person. Are there any other risk-averse persons here? Uh, When you think about a particular activity in your life, the first thing you think about is not the reward. You think about the risk involved in receiving that award or getting to that award. And, and so you kind of have a little formula in your mind. Well, that's, that's not worth the risk. That's not a risk that I want to take. And there's activities you would never do. Never do because the risk is not worth the reward. Doesn't matter what anybody said to you. Doesn't matter what they called you. Doesn't matter what they offered you. You're never going to do those things. For instance, I'm never going to jump out of an airplane. Never. I'm never going to go up to some great height and jump from that great height regardless of what is attached to my body that someone tells me will keep me from going splat, right? That doesn't make sense to me. I'm never going to do that. Uh, You can't convince me to do that. Some of you are thinking, exactly, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Others perhaps are thinking, I wonder if I could convince David to go skydiving. Because it's so much fun. He needs to know. I'll get an email on Monday from someone saying, seriously, it's okay. You won't die. You should do it. I'm not going to do it. You can call me a coward. You can offer me anything in the world. The answer is no. I'm not going to. In fact, this is how I think. Maybe some of you think this way as well. These things should be illegal as far as I'm concerned. Someone should protect the people whose brains are functioning so poorly they think this is a good idea, right? I mean, that's, that's how I think because I'm a risk-averse person. If you even, here's something you might try. Jesus wants you to face your fears. You know what I'm going to say? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he is just fine with that fear because there's a real risk involved. And so as we begin, we begin also with this awareness that there are risks and we have to, in wisdom, We have to think about those risks, and there are some conversations that we need to have. There are some risks that we need to take, but maybe there's others where we think it's not worth it, or it's not worth it yet. There's more work that needs to be done on the relationship or or, or in addressing some of the the, the issues that surround this for us to move forward in that. So if we're going to do this work, I want you to hear that. If we're going to do this work, why do we need to do it, And, and what are the values that would drive us drive us in thinking about how we would engage with others or how we would receive someone else bringing up a topic with us that we may not want to talk about. 
So first, let me share with you Matthew chapter 5, uh, 14 through 16. And if you, uh, if you were ever uh, in a youth ministry, if you ever went to a church camp, you heard Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It's one of those, uh, if you have a shirt from that era of, of being a part of those ministries, it had Matthew 5 on it, I promise, because it's something we talk about with kids all the time. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So again, it's the last day of church camp. Life has changed. You've fallen in love. Hopefully it's with Jesus, but maybe with somebody else. You are the light of the world. Go home and share. You are called to, to share with others what God has done in your life. It's a, it's a passage uh, that, again, with, with kids, we share this a lot. But for us, it's one that if we have something we really want to say... Man, we might think about Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We might quote that. I'm the light of the world. I got to do this. Or if there's, if there's someone else and we think, man, they really need to say this. They need to be the ones who stands up and says something about this. We may send them, hey, don't forget, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. This may be an area where you need to, you need to address something. And when there's something in our life that maybe we don't want to talk about, this is one of those scriptures that we're like, yeah, I don't know what that says. Matthew 5, something? Uh, yeah, you're the something of the world. I, it's one we easily ignore. Uh, when we make the mistake of thinking about this calling as a part-time job rather than a full-time responsibility. When we make the mistake of thinking about, well, faith, faith fits right about here in my life. This is where my faith life is. But this is my work life, and this is my friend life, and this is my just what I want to do life. And we all, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with kind of dividing out our life and thinking of our life in compartments and thinking, well, faith fits real well over here, but I'm not sure it fits real well over here. Let me give you a specific example. So let's just imagine that there's something going on in the public sphere of things that everybody's talking about. Everyone's talking about this thing that happened because it's the featured story on every news channel. I mean, it's the thing that's on the bottom, right, that you can see that it just reminds you, hey, this is what's going on. It's, it's all over your Facebook feed. Everyone is outraged and everyone has an opinion and everyone's talking about it. And let's just imagine, uh, just again, going with the scenario, let's imagine that it's something that God cares very deeply about. And maybe you're a particular risk-averse pastor and you're thinking to yourself, oh gosh, we need to talk about this. Somebody should talk about this. We as people of faith, we need to wrestle with this. This is something that we as people of faith should care about. This is something that we as people of faith should talk about because this is something, this is a conviction that we have that shapes every part of our life. And, and so you think to yourself, gosh, someone should talk about that this weekend. I don't know. Who should it be? I, I, I've got several people I'd like to nominate for the position. Who could, who could we give the microphone to? You know, they should. Hey, and then you think, oh, they're giving a microphone to me. I, maybe you may have something I need to. And out of fear and, and perhaps a lot of prayer and Lord lead me. I, I know this is important. Uh, you, you say something. And you say something because you believe that this is something that Jesus cares about. And you believe that all those who've said yes and surrendered their life to Jesus is something we should care about. And then, you, and then you get through the weekend and you get there on Monday and you get that email that says, thanks for the really weird political sermon on Sunday. That was strange. I don't know what that was about. I come to church because I just want you to make me feel good. What was that? Why are you talking about that? As if 
Faith fits here, but it doesn't fit here. As if when we surrender our life to Jesus, it's surrendering parts of our life, but not surrendering all of our life. And just in case you think I'm picking on you, let me just, let me just flip the tables a little bit. Because this is just as bad, by the way. What's just as bad is when you are that risk-averse pastor, and you read the email, and the first thing you think is not compassion and grace and love. You think in judgment, and you think in frustration, and maybe you even, maybe you even respond first. Your first initial thought is anger of how could they, how could they respond in this way? And what you realize is that this response isn't justified, isn't something you can say, well, I'm, I read the Bible, so, you know, I should get to say what I want. You realize that self-righteousness is what, where it comes from is just fear. It's the fear of being judged. It's the fear of being rejected. And, and then you think about Jesus and you think about that, <laughs> that for Jesus, this was a moment where he invested more deeply in love, not in a sense of judgment that, and anger that you may, you may feel. So here's what I want to I w- I invite you to do. Think about Matthew 5, 14 through 16, but think about it in relationship to what Jesus says just a few chapters later, where he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Think about that in relationship to Matthew 5. Think about the light of the world, this calling that we have, the calling we have to be light, light that reflects back on the Father. But think about it also in relationship to this of of making sure that you remove the sawdust in your own eye before you try to remove the plank in the eye of uh, of someone else. Uh, uh, according to this, uh, according to this idea from Jesus, light must come into our world for us to be a light for the world. And, and so why? Why does the church need to talk about things that the church itself is uncomfortable talking about? Because the church has no business, no, no, uh, no authority, no, no power to be a light for the world if we are not willing for light to come into our own life. For the spirit of God to maybe mess with us a little bit, for us to be willing to have some uncomfortable conversations, for us to be able to, to take a risk with someone we care about, inviting light into a relationship, light into a situation, even if it's one where it's just a, a relationship that's, that's filled with confusion and it can't go anywhere because nothing's been done about this elephant that's, that's there in that relationship. Light must come into our world for us to be a light for the world. We got to do the hard things before we ask anyone else to do hard things. We uh, can't make the mistake of expecting too much from others and too little from ourselves. We start with us and what we are called to do and how we are uh, called to to, to wrestle with some things that may be difficult for us to wrestle with. If you've, and as you think about this, if you've been living in a dark place for a long time, I mean, let's just think about this. If you go home today and you shut yourself in the closet, you spend the rest of the day in the dark, it's gonna hurt a little bit when you turn on the light. 
Their eyes aren't going to be quite ready for it. It's, a, it's not always the most pleasant experience for light to come. But the alternative is a terrible option. It's unacceptable. So we deal with it. We allow light to come so that we can be a light for the world. And, and, and look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Why would we do this work? And if we do this work, what are the values that might shape us? Well, we do this work because we've been called to be the light of the world. And to be the light of the world is, a, is to allow your life to be open for light to come. But we, we do this work knowing that we have these fears. We fear the loss of relationship. We fear another's response. We fear what they might think, what they might say. We fear that they might reject us. That they might misunderstand what we think are the best of intentions. And so we find ourselves wrestling with, well, what do I do? What do I say? Should I be driven by this fear? Should I be caught by this fear? And, 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 then, there's, and then there's faith. Then there's Jesus who just kind of kicks you in the pants sometimes and elbows you in the side. And this next part, if you feel that, don't worry. I do too. If you want to squirm, I do too. But here's where Jesus just, I think, he just gets us here. That according to Jesus, people are worth dying for. According to Jesus, people are worth dying for. And I, trust me, there's times in my life, I know there are for you, where you think, oh gosh, but him? Really? What, her? What? No. Come on. According to Jesus, people are worth dying for. The opportunity to say what you want to say. The opportunity to be right that's not worth dying for. But people are. People are. Their hopes, their dreams, their, their great successes, their struggles, their hurts, their brokenness. Taking a risk for the sake of bringing light. For the sake of, of inviting them into a, uh, into seeing light and maybe, uh, maybe that leading to a, to a better place in their life. That, Jesus says, is worth, worth dying for. If you're here last week, we celebrated your generosity, uh, $65,000 from Christmas Eve offering going to Zoe Ministry. Uh, and if you're brand new around here, Zoe uh, is a ministry that empowers orphaned and vulnerable children all around the world to never need charity again. That's what it's all about. Uh, and we've been in partnership with them for over a decade. Uh, uh, again, a great gift that we celebrated last weekend. But I wonder if you can remember... Uh, over the course of your life, uh, a moment where the idea of being generous for the sake of someone else, when that became real to you, when you, when you thought about why, that, that this is so important as a follower of Jesus that I, that I invest myself in this. this. I'll tell you what mine was. It was five or six years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it, it happened in the middle of the night uh, when I woke up because somebody was hitting me. Uh, if you, I don't know if you ever had this experience. I don't wake up when there's noises in the house. I wake up when, when there's physical violence happening in the bed. You know, wake up, wake up. Uh, my son was crying, and my wife had heard his cries, and she didn't want to get out of bed, so she's, you know, she's, she's hitting me to get up and go see him. And, and I'm a deep sleeper. Maybe you're like this where you wake up, and you don't remember who your name is. 
You don't remember who this is in bed with you. You're like, what are you, you know, and the, you hear a cry and you're like, I wonder what that is. Is that a child? Is that our child? Do we have a child? What happened? You know, you, and so that's where I was. You know, I get out of bed and I just kind of walk to the, you know, is it this way? Where's, the, where's this room again? Uh, sit down uh, right next to my son's bed and uh, just place my hand on his back just kind of soothing him and, and whispering to him and, you know, trying to remember what his name is, that kind of stuff, you know. That's, that's, that's the fogginess of this experience. I want you to hear that. Uh, the, the fogginess of the experience uh, where in, in the middle of that, suddenly a thought becomes crystal clear. Comes out of nowhere, just kind of, boom, lightning bolt. And it was this. David, this is why. David this is why. Because somewhere in the world, there is a child that is crying. And there isn't a mom or a dad who's just down the hall. Who can get up and sit by their bed and place a hand on their back and soothe them back to sleep. And, and the absence of that mom and, or, or dad, the, the reason they're not there is not because they didn't care. It's not because they didn't feel for their child the same way that you feel for your child. The reason they're not there is because a sickness took their life. And they had to say goodbye, having no, no understanding of what that would mean for their son or for their daughter. This is why, David... Because somewhere in the world today, there's a child just like Jack. Just like Jack. And no one's there. So it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to me. It should be worth it. It should be worth it to you because people are worth dying for. People are worth dying for. So today, I want you to hear this very carefully. The goal is not, over the course of this series, the goal is not to make everyone mad, Okay? To talk about things that maybe we don't want to talk about. That, that won't be pleasant for me. It won't be pleasant for you. <laughs> uh, someone said to me uh, right before the service, hey, hey we, we ran out of bulletins today. There's so many people here and had the same thing last night. This is not our solution to that problem. Okay, we're going to print more bulletins. We're not going to seek to make everybody mad so they don't come back. That's not, the, that's not the goal. And the goal for you is not for you to go home and make everyone mad in your life. Won't be pleasant for them. Won't be pleasant for you. But the goal is for us to wrestle with this call. We're called to be the light of the world. And for us to do that with integrity, we have to let light come into our life. And for us to wrestle with this, this really, really challenging idea that people are worth, worth dying for. And so in these weeks to come, we're going to talk about what we often don't like to talk about. We're going to talk about some of the elephants in the room. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, first we give you thanks for your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace at work in our life. Grace which is working in ways that we often don't fully understand in the moment. Sometimes, Lord, it's only years later that we can look back and see what you've been doing in our life and perhaps, Lord, what you've been doing in our relationships. Lord, I pray that you would grant us wisdom as we think about engaging in conversations that may be hard for us, uncomfortable for us, Lord, help us to know when to speak. Help us to know when to listen.
Help us to be open, Lord, when someone wants to share something with us that may not be easy for us to hear or for us to engage. Help us, Lord, to know that in all of this, you are working, your grace is working. Grace is working not only in our life, but also working in the world, in the lives of those around us. Lord, we want to be the light of the world. And we pray that you would help us to do that well. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.